0: started with Cain and Abel. Last week, we went to Israel, choosing for themselves a king. And tonight, it's a little further down the road, in the Old Testament. And all three stories, and the story we'll read next week, all point to a very, very clear need for the birth of Jesus. And this week, we're actually in a story that is, uh, it's a very, very important story, I think. And I actually remember, you know, some. Some passages in the Bible we read, and we think, oh man, that's just so clear and so apparent of what God is saying. And I actually remember studying this, and maybe it's just because I studied the Bible in school that I find First and Second Kings so exciting. Um, but I remember studying this in school, and I remember the class, and very specifically, and I remember reading this passage and just thinking, this is such a powerful story. for so many reasons. And so I'm very excited about this text tonight, because... Even though, again, similar to last week, talking about kings of Israel and things that happened uh, three, almost 3,000 years ago, uh, it's very important. And so, I would ask, as we get started, we've already read the scripture, um, to join me in prayer and ask that the Lord would open up our hearts to revealing some things from the Old Testament we may not see. So, please pray with me. Lord, thank you for your Bible. Thank you for your story among your people. And uh, tonight, as we look to the story of uh, Solomon's sons and, and the nation of Israel and Judah, I pray that we would learn about you. We would not just learn history. We would not just learn what not to do. But, Lord, we would learn about who you are and your love for us. That's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. So this week... We are in a story a few generations down the road from last week. Last week, we talked about Israel saying, we don't want God, we want a king. And this week is the sort of um, beginning of the end for the nation of Israel as it was before. As you heard in the passage Elizabeth read, it is a story where a great man had a great opportunity to choose folly over wisdom, to choose that which was right versus that which he wanted. And, And... The story of Jesus, the story of Jesus being born in Luke, sort of fixes that. It's a story of stewardship. It's a story of taking what God has given us and being responsible to it. And it's a story about Jesus. So, I I want to just go back through bit by bit and and talk through it. So, starting in verses 1 through 4, basically we have this guy named Rehoboam. He was Solomon's son. And he was in line to be the king. And, and he goes to this place called Sechem, or Shechem, or we? Yeah, sure, Shechem. We'll Shechem. And all the Israelites had gone there and gathered. Now, a couple of things about this place. It's in the north. And if you studied the Bible and the history of the Bible around this time, they started to divide. See, Solomon was... They said, hey, we can do our own thing. We don't need to build palaces for you. And, and, and things started getting separate. And so they made this guy, Ramboam, his son, come up north. They said, why don't you come up north? Why don't you come and tell us about why we should bow before you as our king? And this place also had great significance for Israel if you do just a quick Google study of the word and the place. It's where Abraham uh, did some great things with the Lord. Joshua as well. A lot of positive history for Israel. And it, it, kind of like Israel is saying to Rehoboam, hey, you're taking over your family's business. Why don't you come up here and we'll see if we want to keep our business with you. As you take over, we'll see if you're as good as your dad or as bad in this case. And then there's this guy named Jeroboam who also comes up to visit who essentially had been excommunicated. In a chapter before this, God had given a prophecy to him telling Jeroboam that Israel would be the twelve tribes would be divided and Jeroboam would rule ten of them. And because of this, He wasn't a real popular guy, so he was hiding in Egypt. So he comes back, and this is what happens. Trying to figure out what's going to happen with Rehoboam and his kingship. And the people essentially give him a very direct message, don't they? They say, listen, hey, uh, your dad, not a nice guy. Your dad was very harsh with us. He had a heavy yoke upon us. We all know what the word yoke means, right? Like something that you put over a cattle that pulls a plow in a field. So it's, it's just a Illustration used throughout Scripture to basically say that this is the work these people had to do. And the people of Israel said, hey, the yoke of your father was awful. And if you lift it, if you make it lighter, we'll follow you. You can be our king. Just back it off a little. And if you didn't know, as I mentioned Solomon in, in 1 Kings chapter 10, it talks about all the things he built talks about all the giant things he built. And uh, it also says this. I just want to read a verse or two. Uh, This this is from just a a few chapters before. It's in uh, chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. It says, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. And he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. And the king made silver uh, as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore figs in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kudu. The royal merchants purchased them. And they imported them, and they imported the chariots from Egypt and all these different things. Do you remember last week, do you remember what we were reading in Deuteronomy? That the king should never go back to Egypt for horses. The king should never take the people of Israel back to Egypt, and, and they, they should not get a giant standing army. So if we look at this as a big picture of these kings of Israel, What it's actually saying, it's building a narrative. It's building a very dramatic story here that as we read, we realize that Israel's heading to something very bad. If we read it all together, instead of just the story of Rehoboam, but we think about Solomon and what he had done, we see that it's sort of like a dramatic movie. And we as the audience see the train headed down the track, and we know that down the road there's no bridge. There's no bridge for the train to cross, and we see the train going. And scripture is presenting all of these things, and so when it talks about the yoke of Solomon, it's actually saying that Solomon was doing things that were in opposition to the Lord. Not just making the people work hard, that he was a tough boss, but really, truly, specifically in opposition to the Lord. And that Israel was going down a road it should not have been going down. And as we read this, we hope Rehobo will hit the brakes. We hope that maybe he will verses 5 to 7, he actually asks people, he says, hey, you know, what should we do? And they, they say this, and so he says, okay, go away for three days, and I'll think about it. Then King Rehoboam in verse 6, consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon, and said, how would you guys do this? So instead of asking these guys from northern Israel, instead of asking his other people, I'm going to ask people inside my house. I'm going to ask my father's advisors. I'm taking over the family business. I'm how they would recommend. And they said, you know, may not be a bad idea. If today you will be a servant to these people, they will serve you back. If you give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. We can repair this relationship. We can do that which is right. If you listen and if you serve the people, instead of imposing a harsh yoke like your father, serve the people. Then they will serve you. Let see great wisdom from the Lord. And we already begin to see parallels to Jesus here. It's a, a narrative from 1 first, first Kings chapter 12, but we see parallels to Jesus. To serve others is to be served. We all know this is a great truth, that we ought to live our lives for other people, that we ought to be in positions, even when we're in leadership, to be serving and caring for others. To not be harsh rulers and masters. So, what will the king do? Well, as we already heard, he did not do a good job. He goes to the young men he grew up with. Instead of listening to the wisdom of the older generation, his father's advisors, guys who have been around the block, he goes to the guys he grew up with. He goes to the guys who wanted to ride his coattails and be successful like him and live in his king, live in his court, and live in his house and and he asks them what we should do and I can kind of picture this, you know. It's like his the yes men, the people that always follow him around and tell him what he wants to hear. Oh, great you're so great. Just wait till you're king. you will be the best kingdom ever. You thought your dad was rich? Which, by the way, he was. Silver was as common as stones, which is a great line. He says, you thought your dad was rich? Ray-Bor? Imagine what we can do together. You know, they kind of like latch themselves on to him. He's going to be the king, so I'm going to be friends with him. And they say, you know what? Father, you said, you think that your father was a man? Show that your pinky finger is bigger than his waist. He used to whip them with, he used to scourge them with whips, and you're going to scourge them with scorpions. You're going to be harder. You're going to be tougher. You're going to be more wealthy. You're going to make Israel even more great. Look again at verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. followed the advice of the young men. My father made Israel heavy, and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, and I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord that had been spoken to Jeroboam son of Nebat through Ahijah the Shilonite. And when Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, "What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son?" To your tents, of Israel, look after your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home. And as for the Israelites who, ruled, or who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still over them. And then in verse 18, just one more. If you look at your Bibles, it's not on the screen. It says that King Rehoboam sent out this person who was in charge of forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death. And then King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. And then verse 19, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. His response is not just arrogant, his response is not just sad, his response is tragic. This man who had the opportunity to serve God and to serve his people ends up dividing a kingdom. Dividing a kingdom to where the northern kingdoms, the ten tribes of Israel, says, We want no part of the house of David. But God promised that this would be deliverance from the house of David. Would, you know, all the good things, the, the Savior, or the Messiah, the, all of these things would come from the house of David. And Israel says, no, we want nothing to do with that because of this man's choice. As I mentioned, the train headed down the tracks. They just keep going down that same direction. We see it unfold, but it's like the people, like we're watching a movie and we know that they're going to crash and the people on the train have no, Verse 15, which I'm sure you noticed. Verse 15 is kind of tough. For this turn of events was from the Lord. It says that this turn of events was actually from God. Why would God do this? Why would God, if He said that He wants His kingdom to be prosperous, He wants the Israelites to be successful, why would God? Allow this? Why would God do this? And if I'm honest, I remember, as I mentioned, studying this in school and, 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 and wanting to, the teacher to really dig into it. You know, wanting the teacher to really just, just tell me why, so I can let's just leave this as a cliffhanger. Let's just say you guys figure it out. Why would God do this? Have fun. Have a nice weekend. But I was praying about it and I thought that as a pastor, things are a bit different. I want you to wrestle with the truth and I want us to do this together. But I also want to share with you what I believe. And I don't want to share with you what I believe so that you would believe the same thing. I want to share with you what I believe because I believe it will help you make, it will help make you more like Christ. And if you about difficult texts like this in verse 15, that we will together become more like Christ. And so my opinion is not always a popular one, but I hope it makes a little sense to me. I believe God did this because he is a jealous God. I believe God did this because he is a jealous God, and the people wanted a king that they would worship and put above God. They said, this man... Is going to be our king. This man is going to be the person we would worship. And actually, in fact, you see, if you keep reading the Jeroboam, he goes on to build some golden calves and says, the God of Israel didn't take you out of Egypt, these golden calves took you out of Egypt, so we're going to worship them. Didn't work out well for him. And Rehoboam, he's a bad guy, and it just gets worse. But these people wanted someone to put above God, and God is very jealous for our affection. And so, too, in our lives, I believe that God either allows or sometimes even things happen that are not (laughs) great for us because we've put things over God. And God does, I believe, directly intervene in our lives sometimes when we put things over God. There's precedence of this in Scripture. If you look at Exodus chapter 11, when Moses was trying to lead the people out of Egypt, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart to not let the people go. And if we look at this Bible critically, and we look at this and we, we say, well, we don't believe in God, we're just going to read this and try to learn about what this religion thinks about. It looks really bad. It looks like God is vindictive, that God is jealous, and that God wants his people to be divided and fighting and, and I don't want to be part of that God. But it's not the whole story. See, the The great thing about Scripture is we look at it and we see, wow, the train is heading down the track. The train is going to go off the bridge. It's going to be awful. It's going to be a mess. Why would God do that? Well, God goes forward a little bit. And in Matthew chapter 13, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 now. It's not on the screen, but uh, I want us to read this and I want you to be aware of this. You know, oftentimes, the Bible gives us really strong, powerful contrasts. Oftentimes, Jesus used analogies and parables to counteract what we read in the Old Testament, not to disprove it, but to help us understand who God is. And in Matthew chapter, oh, sorry, 11, excuse me, it starts in Matthew chapter 11, two pages, further left. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives a great contrast to the story of Rehoboam, and I believe that you are directly related doesn't say this anywhere, but I really believe that Jesus was saying this in response to passages like 1 Kings. Look at me, or look with me in verses 26 to 30 in Matthew chapter 11. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. And he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. trusted in someone whose yoke was heavy, whose burden was heavy, who, who was power-hungry, and, and, and who wanted ill for them. And true enough, as the story goes on with Israel, the kingdom comes in from the north called Assyria and takes them into slavery. Judah is okay after Rehoboam. There's a couple of guys. They repent. Things get a little better. But eventually, Babylon comes and takes them too. Eventually, the train crashes and people want to blame God. People want to say, how could God allow that? Why didn't God stop it? I believe it's because the plan they were on wasn't even God's plan from the beginning. It's like they got on the wrong train at the train station and God wanted them to go this way. They went this way. But God had a plan. The reason we read the Luke story and and, and see that God sent his son and we celebrate Advent and pray and, and, and do all of these different things... It's because God had a bigger plan. And when I read the word of Jesus, he says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. What a stark contrast to scourging with scorpions his son, Jesus, to come with a humble heart and serve us that we would know he loves us. That's how Jesus did it with Peter. If you remember Peter, Peter messed up, chose a different path, denied God, denied Jesus three times. And after the resurrection, Jesus goes to see Peter. And Peter, so excited to see him, jumps out of the boat and swims to him. And they have this great moment on the beach. Where Jesus says, Peter, I love you. I want you to feed my sheep. Jesus meet, met him after his folly, after his mess up, after his train crash, and said, hey, I love you. Let's keep going with humility and service. There's a, a song I really love, um, one of my favorite bands. It's a, it's an American kind of bluegrass, folk band. And um, I wrote out the lyrics so that you can see it, so that you can really hear it. And, and this is what I always think of when says this. I think it's on there. You're not say it. No, don't be sorry. I'll just read it out. It says this. I went on the search for something real. I traded what I know for how I feel. But the, ceil- er, but the ceiling and the walls collapsed. Upon the darkness I was trapped. And as the last of breath was drawn from me, The light broke in and brought me to my feet. We make stupid choices. We do things that are foolish. We, like Israel, go astray in a more leadership like Rehoboam. We make dumb choices, and and, and sometimes we assert our power and our arrogance. But Christ says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And when we fall, the light breaks in. The light of Christ breaks in and brings us to our feet. Remember how we were talking about Rehoboam's advisor said to him, I said, hey, if you serve your people, they will serve you. If you serve and love your people, they will be with you forever. Jesus also gave us the perfect example of this. The night before he was crucified at dinner, he washed his disciples' feet, and then he served the first communion of the Lord's Supper. And this was God's plan to establish his kingdom through Jesus. Not through men. Not through kings. Not through wealth. Not through wars. Not through armies. It doesn't mean there's not struggles. It doesn't mean there's not confusion along the way in God's plan. It's a great book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. The entire book is just complaining about God's plan. It's awesome. But the reason God's plan is so great is because it's not our plan. We look at the plans of men, and we see men like Rehoboam saying, My yoke will be even heavier than my father's. And Jesus says, No, that's not my way. I admit God used Rehoboam in this situation in a weird way. He was given an opportunity for stewardship, and he missed the mark. And we, in this room tonight, are not in a totally different situation. As we discussed this with Timothy months ago, all have a choice with how we live our lives. We all have a choice with whom we will serve. We all have a choice with how we will steward the gifts God has given us. It's the same question Rehoboam had before him. Will you listen to the people who have gone before you? Will you seek God's wisdom and the humility of Christ? Or, will you seek to impose a heavy burden, a heavy yoke on others to get what you desire? Christ came, saying that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he came in ultimate service to us. He desires to serve us. He desires to be our king. Come to me, all you who are weary and and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, humble in heart find rest for your souls. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this truth. I thank you to give our souls rest, that you alleviate pain, anxiety, and stress. Lord, we see a stark contrast between harsh men like Rehoboam and men like our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we desire to be more like him. We desire to be gracious and loving and humble. And so, Father, as we go forward tonight, may you lead us in the way we should go. Give us the strength of humility. Give us patience that shows wisdom. Lord, we repent of times when we have not done this. Lord, we realize we are not perfect. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your plan. And thank you for your son. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Night, uh, we come to the table with this in mind. That God not only had a plan for the nation of Israel, but he had a plan for us. And that plan is centered around this table. The plan is centered around these candles that we light in anticipation of Advent. I love seeing the candles get closer and closer. And so tonight, uh, I would invite everyone here to come to the table. If you know who, who Jesus Christ is, and if you've just heard about him for the first time, but you trust him and you love him, please come to the table. Because the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and he looked at his disciples and said, this is my body, broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And after dinner, he took the cup. He poured out the wine and said, this is my blood, shed for you in the new covenant. Do this also in remembrance of me.